Concerning Him, an Emmaus podcast is a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Concerning Him seeks to enrich Christians around the globe by educating and equipping them through various media. For more information about Emmaus, please visit Emmaus.edu. Hello and welcome to another episode of Concerning Him, an Emmaus podcast. Today we're joined by Joel Carter. Welcome. Thanks, Eric. Happy to be here. We're happy to have you. Um, if you want to know who Joel Carter is, well, he's he's the chair of the education department here at Emmaus. But if you want to know more about Joel Carter, go ahead and listen to his last episode that we had on where your topic was. Busyness. Busyness and how yeah. not to be so busy. Right. Theoretically. Yeah. That was, that was a fascinating conversation. I got a lot of feedback on that one. People really appreciated that one. It Sweet. was helpful. Sweet. So go ahead and listen to that one if you want to know more about Joel, if you want to hear an interesting conversation about busyness. Um, otherwise, today we are talking about learning styles, uh, specifically in an alternative to learning styles. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that you and I talked about last May a little bit, just having a conversation. I've been excited ever since to get you on and to have this conversation. Um, so be, just as we start out, I'd like you to walk us through what are learning styles, the history of it a little bit, maybe explain the styles, and then we'll we'll kind of build upon that for the rest of the episode. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's a good place to start. Learning styles, uh, supposed learning styles, is the theory that students learn best when they are taught according to their particular style. So common styles, um, in the late 80s, in the 90s, the VARC, Mm-hmm. method, I don't know if that's the right word, came out, uh, which is an acronym that stands for visual, oral, A-U-R, oral, read, write, and kinesthetic. And since some have been added to that, but that's kind of basically the idea is you have a learning style. It's one of these particular styles. And if you're taught to that style or your teacher teaches to that style, you're, you'll learn best. So that's the basic idea. And um, I would I would encourage listeners and anyone to read about it from p- proponents of it. I'm not a proponent of it, as you'll see. I don't think I should say to Eric, this is I mean, you, education is full of debate. There are things that are important enough that you would not be able to um, work alongside a teacher. There are philosophical views that make it really hard to work with someone. This is not one of those. I think you can I think there are good teachers who are teaching to learning styles. I have good friends, I have colleagues, people I respect and who I know are good teachers who who are proponents of learning styles. So all that to say this is not a if you believe in it you equal a bad teacher. Um, but I think at the same time it is important and it's incredibly popular. So and kind of the history of it is late 80s, 90s came out as an idea and and people latched on fairly quickly, I think. I think there's something about it that feels intuitive. Mm. The idea that you can learn this way much better than these other ways, it kind of it it just sound it just feels right. Like that explains why I've always stunk at math, but I'm good at reading or vice versa, right? And so people kind of latched onto it for that reason. Howard Gardner came out with the theory of multiple intelligences, which is not the same as learning styles. That theory is just that your mind has 
everybody's mind has a set of intelligences, different kinds of intelligences. And this is where you get things like, I'm going to botch this too, because I'm not a huge fan of these either. But, um, you know, musical, kinesthetic, read, write, mm. um, those sorts of things. And that different people have strengths and weaknesses, but it is different from learning styles. And Howard Gardner has <laughs> spent a lot of time saying this don't don't rope me in with learning styles because this isn't the same thing so think about in the 90s and then it just it just took off in teacher prep programs Mm. colleges and universities just just took it whole hog k-12 teachers took it whole hog and to this day it um that has that has what has made it an enduring idea so if you if you look into i would argue the scientific community especially the cognitive science community which is cognitive science is an area that has exploded in the last in the last 30 years you'll read you know cognitive scientists will say cognitive scientists who work in education will say we've learned more about how the mind learns in the last 30 years than the 5000 before it combined Wow. And they would say the world of education has largely ignored it. Mm. There's this weird, there's like a historical animosity between the world of education and the world of psychology and, and the world of science. In fact, there are, there's, a, there's a joke. I can't remember what it is. And I can't remember what university, like Yale or Harvard or someplace, that so-and-so street is the widest street in the world. And it's the street that runs between... <laughs> the College of Education and the College of Science or Psychology or something. So there's just this um, there's just this disconnect in the two fields. Okay. And it has kind of led to this separation between the world of education and the world of cognitive science, even though cognitive scientists have been trying to do research related to education. There's just a huge disconnect. So learning styles are still very popular. A 2017 survey, I think it was by the BBC, uh, surveyed teachers, and 90% of teachers said they believe students learn best when taught to their learning styles. So that's a really high number. In fact, I think you you would not find there is nothing that so many teachers agree on <laughs> more. Um, I think that's true. I, it's, a, it's a strong statement. So maybe that's not exactly true. But 90% is pretty uniform agreement. Yep. And that is because I think <laughs> teacher prep programs is, is really where it's come from. So it's just been around for 20, 30 years. It's amazing. Like, I know people who are not in education, friends. Like I say, you know, I tell them what I do. I train teachers. And they're like, oh, man, yeah, like, that's great. Back when I was a student, like, we, they didn't know about learning styles yet, stuff like that. Yeah. And it's just like this. Has, the idea has trickled down so far that, like, you know, so many people have heard it. It's, it's part of cultural literacy, I guess. So it speaks to its popularity, certainly, and um, the way it's grown. So fair yeah. Good basic definition for yeah. You. Could you explain just in just one minute or so what each of the different styles are in Envark hmm. as best you can? Maybe sure. just a quick quick summary of what they are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so visual, you learn best with visuals. Okay. By seeing the information you're supposed to be taking in, represented visually. Um, a for oral, so that's your um, 
having to do with what you hear. Okay. So it's not read write, but it's you're good at listening to someone explain something. Okay. Uh, read write is what it sounds like. Reading and writing are a way for you to learn and express learning. And then K for kinesthetic. That's the one. That's the one that everybody loves, but is the hardest to think of practically. I mean, this would be like something like your kid has to be doodling mm. in order to focus, or something like. I mean, there's always crude stereotypes, right? Like if you like sports, you're a kinesthetic <laughs> learner, sort yeah. of thing. Or you know, if you're playing a game in class where you're throwing a ball around or something, it engages your mind more. Um, but yeah. So okay. There you go. No, Again, I don't use them much. Yeah, but so, that's that's very yeah. helpful as we're kind of talking about sure. this evaluation of them mm -hmm. and and maybe a, a different approach. It, I think it's good to understand that's what we're talking about. Right. Right. Um, so it seems like it'd be a fair assessment to say you don't necessarily think this is an accurate way to evaluate learners or to categorize learners. Maybe we should say. Um, but is it true that the people learn in these ways? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a great question. And so much there's so much is dependent on nuance. So I would say learning styles are not the same as learning preferences. Okay. They're not the same as being good at something, right? Okay. And I think the reason people connect to learning styles is because they feel that, right? Like just the, just kids tend to be either good at math and science or good at history and English. Yeah. Right. So you say something like learning styles and it latches on. So certainly what is self-evident is that students prefer learning in one way or another. Okay. Students are better. Um, I hesitate to say they're better at learning one way or another. I'm not sure that's true so much as they are better at some things than they are at other things. Okay. Yeah. So you're good at math and you're not so good at PE. Mm -hmm. I don't think that has much to do with learning styles. I think it's just, you're someone who is good at math. Yeah. And there's a difference there, which I think, well, hopefully we kind of get, yeah. get to that. So yeah, this is not saying one size fits all, mm -hmm. uh, or everybody's the same yeah. or even every, or that everybody should be taught the same way. No, 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 no. Um, but it's, it's just, yeah. Yeah. So, my question is why? Why is it that you think that this is not an accurate way to categorize learners or students? Sure. So I think it's not a good way to categorize or organize students because it, for me, it has things backwards, um, not philosophically so much as practically. So I think that content drives method. And okay. what, what I mean by that is, it doesn't matter what learning style you have. If you're learning how to change the oil in a car, you your teacher should better have you change the oil in a car, right? <laughs> yeah. Which would be, I guess, kinesthetic learning, right? But it's not that they're a kinesthetic learner. It's just the nature of what they're being taught mm. necessitates a certain kind of teaching. So if you're teaching geography or like when I, I was a history teacher, so when I'm teaching a battle and you're trying to explain what happens, if you're not using a map, like, <laughs> what are you thinking? Like, you you have to, right? Which yeah. is using visuals. So, and that's, I think that's a key point, right? The question for me and the way I train teachers is don't ask yourself, how do my students learn best? 
ask yourself, how can this content be taught best? Mm. And that will determine the method um, that you use. So, so that's kind of why I think an alternative lear to learning styles is a good way to say it. I just okay. think that way is way more effective. Um, but two, I mean, I, I would argue, and I have not, um, I have not seen anyone argue against that there is not, there is not research to support teaching to learning styles. In fact, there's in some cases the opposite. Okay. So, and the, the reason is because in that situation, take the situation with me using a map to teach on a battle. I've decided to use a visual. Of course, I'm using oral teaching because I'm explaining it to the students. They will probably read and write at some point to express their learning, even if it's not until a test where they explain the battle, right? So there you go. I've, I've taught to three learning styles already, right? Hmm. I mean, maybe sometimes I have them act out the battle because it's fun and engaging, right? Yeah. So I don't do any of these things because of learning styles. It's just that I think it's the best way to teach this thing. Now, if I did believe in learning styles, it would counterintuitively end up shortchanging me because I would say, I would say, um, well, what I would say is everybody doesn't need to do all those four things, mm. right? And I would let the visual learners do a map exercise and I'd let the oral learners listen to a recorded lecture and I would let the read write learners read a textbook on it and write about it. And I'd let the kinesthetic learners go act it out physically, right? They're each being taught to their learning styles, but the reality is that they're each being robbed of three fourths of the method of mm. teaching, right? And ideal is the content drives the method and every student is getting this content taught using four modalities, right? And mm. that's that's the word, that's what I like. So, okay. And you'll hear these used interchangeably, but they're not the same, right? So teaching modalities are just what I've explained. There are different, there are different modalities to use to teach something, which is different from you have a style, therefore I'm teaching you anything, no matter what in that style, which, which robs the teacher of being able to decide how to teach what based on the nature of the content. So did that answer your question? It does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah th this makes sense. I, it actually, it, it helps explain something in my own personal life. I used yeah. to think when I was younger, like when I was in high school, <laughs> I, I used to think I didn't like, I wasn't somebody that enjoyed listening to sermons Sunday morning at church because that just wasn't my learning style. Mm -hmm. I was somebody who had to be doing stuff. And the fact that somebody sat me down in the chair and said, shut up and listen to this person. I yeah. said, well, it's just not for me. So I guess it's okay for me to sit here and daydream or to doodle or to right. whatever. Right. And then as I grew up, it's now one of my absolute favorite things to sit down and listen to somebody preach because I, I've learned how to learn from it and grow from it. Sure. If that makes sense. Yes. Um, which is, it seemed like at one point, and it, it might sound like as a kid, I was using this as an excuse, but it seemed like at one point in my life, I just can't learn this way. Like I can't take in information. It's obvious to me now that that's not true. Right. And I, I partially wonder if I was using something like that as, as an excuse or letting it handicap me when I could have just said, Hey, I can learn this way if I try. Yeah. And that's one of the, I think one of the reasons why learning styles are starting to wane in popularity, even among K-12 teachers. And I think part of the reason is because teachers, 
eventually get sick of ninth graders saying, Mr. Carter, I can't learn this way. Mm-hmm. Um, which just, I mean, whether you've researched it or not, you hear something like that and you just feel that's not true, <laughs> right? It might take more work, more struggle. The other thing is, and I do hear, uh, I, I hear this story a lot, right? Like I was that kid yeah. who had to be moving around, who couldn't pay attention, who was, you know, shackled by the constraints of the <laughs> educational environment. And part of me is like, fair enough. I tend to think that the problem was that they had a bad teacher mm. um, and that that teacher was was standing up and lecturing them. Um, but that the problem wasn't the standing up and lecturing. The problem was that they were a bad lecturer. They weren't <laughs> using examples. They weren't using illustrations. They weren't creating images in the in their students' minds. They weren't connecting it to what the students already know. Mm. They were, you know, and that's that's what makes teaching good or bad primarily to me. And the other thing is just teaching kids to struggle. Mm. Like at the what's interesting is at the same time that growth mindset exploded, that I said growth mindset. At the same time that learning styles yeah. became popular, growth mindset, Carol Dweck's mm. research on growth mindset comes on the scene. And they're kind of just self-evidently really? clashed, right? Because okay. growth mindset is is the idea that um, your decisions can change the outcome, mm. right? That the difference between you now and you succeeding is your choices, mm which, and there's a lot about that I love, right? And so people kind of latch onto that. And then it's kind of like, wait, we're letting the kid off the hook because they don't learn this way. I mean, in a sense, wouldn't it make more sense to find out a student's learning style and then train them to learn in all the other ways? (laughs) That way they grow up and they can learn anything anyway. And the other thing, Eric, I'll throw this out. The other quote unquote problem with the way learning styles are implemented practically is how do teachers find out what their students' learning styles are? Now, there are expensive tests and surveys you could use, right? The way I've seen countless times teachers find out their kids' learning styles is they write up their own survey and they give it to the students and the students have to decide, you know, they answer these questions. Well, there has been a lot of research where students are surveyed as to their preferred learning style they're taught according to their learning style and there's no difference in learning. Mm. And so, and that's not hard for people to swallow. I mean, it's not shocking that an eight year old is not an expert on how he learns best. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And when the options are, you know, do you like, do you like learning while you get to throw a football around the classroom or do you like learning when you're sitting listening to this? Like who's not going to circle the football. <laughs> right. So that has, that has just kind of muddied the, the waters and, and kind of just makes the whole thing a little bit off from the start, mm. from the start for sure. So, so then, what would you say to somebody who is like, Joel? I hear what you're saying, mm-hmm. but I just I can't listen to somebody lecture. I've got to read right, or I've got to see the visual, or I've got to have something in my hand. Like I just can't do it. What What's your response <laughs> to that? Um. Oh, what's my response to that? depends on the context. I mean, honestly, my first knee-jerk response is this person hasn't had good. Yeah. Hasn't had good teachers. I mean, what I would when I would have parents, I did have parents at times and they'd tell me, you know, well, A, once I uh, I'll start by saying I saw this in my own teaching, you know. There was I feel like I love lecturing. 
And when I started as a teacher, I taught two learning styles, which means I didn't lecture all the time. I lectured a little bit, and then it is all these other things. And the students hated it. They're like, Mr. Carter, can you just teach us? Because I was good at that, mm. and I'm really bad at coming up with projects and you know stuff like that. <laughs> and part of that is just my, is just you know my preference. That's not science. That's not a scientific conclusion. But um, over time, you just get really good at en- engaging kids with direct instruction. And it's not that you don't use. As I said, I would not. I never give a lecture without visuals mm. to ninth graders trying to teach them world history. I mean, you've got to use multiple modes mm. so that they learn it best. Um, but when, when people do say that, I think, I wish you could sit in on a really good teacher giving a really good lecture. Mm. I also tend to think, I mean, I think that of myself, like it's as hard, it's hard to listen to sermons, you know, it's like 40 minutes, but it's like, I mean, is it really that far-fetched that entertainment and social media and phones have just, Mm. made it hard for us to focus on one thing at a time. I mean, when I, I te- when I teach my college classes, every single phone in the room is in a box in the front of the classroom. Oh, wow. Because I am just not interested in sharing your attention. And um, the research just seems abundantly clear that even having your phone sitting on the table in front of you, just even if it never rings, it does have an impact on your attention. So... I don't know what it is. I would I would recommend that that person try to remove as many distractions as they can. Um, try to do things like discuss the lecture with a friend afterwards. Things that will help them see. It's kind of trained your mind to receive information that way. The other thing is, I was going to say this. When I have parents tell me, you know, little Johnny just can't sit yeah. in one place for very long. But then they tell me that little Johnny was, you know, up until 4 a.m. playing a video game. I was like... So it's like all of a sudden Johnny's not a kinesthetic learner when he's playing Minecraft and can <laughs> sit at a computer moving almost nothing for 10 hours. Yeah. Right? So it just kind of, I think it tends to fold in on itself a little bit mm. in that way. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. What, I, what I'm hearing you say, I think, is that these four learning styles, they aren't a, necessarily a great way to categorize people. However, everybody would benefit from learning in each of these types of ways. Yes. Is that correct? Amen, amen, amen. And this is why, Eric, I say this is not a deal breaker of a debate because because when a teacher tries to teach to learning styles, they end up using multiple modalities, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so it ends up being helpful to some extent. It's not... It's not that you, right, it's a baby in bathwater situation, right? So there are different ways to teach things. There are different ways to present information. And it never hurts. It never hurts to present information in more than one way. And Mm -hmm. it almost always helps. Almost always. So, like, when I teach on differentiation, for example, which is a good thing. I mean, you have to define your terms. But you got 30 kids in class, right? Their background knowledge varies immensely, and some kids get something the first time you explain it. With They don't need visuals. They don't need to read or write or anything, right? But those students are not harmed by you providing a visual. It's it, There's no cost to it. And there is incredible gain to adding visuals. In fact, the area of visuals 
in cognitive science is called dual coding theory, which is the idea that your brain really has two processing centers, right? So if I were, if I were to answer, for example, if you were to ask me, how do students learn? How does a person learn? I mean, my short answer is they pay attention to something. It goes into their working memory. If it goes from their working memory to their long-term memory, they've learned. That's it, right? Now, there's a whole bunch of variables for each step of that process, but that is it as, as it, at its basic sense. Okay. So the key in that process is how do you get something from working memory to long-term memory? Mm. That's what a teacher wants, right? As opposed to going into working memory and being forgotten. And the answer is attach it to as many pieces of prior knowledge as you can, attach it to as many different processing centers as you can, and it appears that the mind, the human mind, really has the visual processor and the um, linguistic processor, Okay. right? So if I explain what a flower looks like to you, it's going through your linguistic processor, right? If I explain it to you while you're looking at a picture of that flower, it's like double, it's like twice for your money. Yeah. Because both processors are sending it to working memory, which strengthens it being learned and it just attaches to so many more things. So um, visuals is a, is a huge one. There's hardly ever a reason not to use a representative visual. Mm. Some, if you if you don't use them right, they can be distracting because yeah. what they're hearing, the language doesn't line up with the image. But man, if they line up, do it, do it, do it. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, so this isn't this is more this isn't necessarily connected to visuals, but I've I've heard it said, and I've I feel like I've experienced this to be true. Now you could tell me if I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> But if, if I hear somebody lecture, right, mm -hmm. and there's a bunch of information, and then I'm immediately given an opportunity to have a conversation about that yes. information with somebody, right, this would be, I think, that's taking multiple different learning styles. Or somebody lectures, and then I'm summarizing or synthesizing by writing it down. Yes. Things like that, using these multiple different avenues, mm -hmm. allow long-term memory. Is that correct? Absolutely. So... It's, it's amazing, really. I mean, it's anything like that builds connections. Okay. Connections are key. So this is, this is, and this is natural, right? When you're explaining something to someone, you try to connect it to what they already know, right? If you know they like sports, try to use an illustration mm. that's sports or something or the other. And because the idea is you get it from working memory to long-term memory. And after that, it's just the more times you retrieve it from memory, the more other things you connect it with strengthens its position in your long-term memory. So yes, talking to people about stuff, reviewing stuff. So like in, in, when I lecture in class, excuse me, I don't let students take notes. Really? Don't let them take notes, which is a whole nother, we could do a whole nother podcast <laughs> on the science of note taking. Maybe we should. But what I, what I tell them is I give them a recipe for success. One, give me a hundred percent of your attention in class. Don't think about how to take notes. Don't think about how to write. Don't think about what's on the test. Just listen to what I'm saying. Step two, at some point after class that day, get out a blank piece of paper and write down everything you learned in class without, without talking to a friend, without anything. Just try to pull it all from your mind. Get it all down on paper, however you want to write it. Step three, 
go back to the lecture. So I record my lectures. Okay. And I post them where they're accessible. And I say, after that, go back and listen to my lecture. I mean, put it on double time, whatever, and see what you missed and fill in the gaps, right? This doesn't take that long. But that process of hearing what I say, if I've done a good job, if it's a good lecture and there are, my goodness, a lot of bad lectures out there, <laughs> which is another topic, how to do a good lecture. But if I've done my job, they've learned the main points when mm -hmm. I taught them, right? But they need to learn them long-term, right? So, and they're going to forget. But every time they bring it back to mind, it's stronger in their mind. This is, this is the forgetting curve. So if you look at a graph, it's like the first time you learn something, you begin forgetting it the second you learn it. You begin forgetting it. And you're gonna forget it in like a day or two, unless you review. But each time you review, you forget it slower. So okay. like, so, so, so learn something, review it the day after and the day after, but then you only have to review it every week. Mm. And after a few weeks, you only have to review it every couple months. Right. And then it's there forever. It is there forever. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good recipe for success to do things that bring to mind what you have learned. This is the genius behind parents asking their kids what they learned in school today. <laughs> it really is. Like just the simple act of having to tell mom what you learned in class does more for that kid's learning than any project that teacher has ever given them. It's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How would you take everything that we're talking about today? Um, I think other professional educators listening to you could probably pretty easily figure out how to apply this and to change things. Sure. Um, and that's great. And if, if they're the professional educators listening to this and, and learning, that's, that's amazing. Um, what I'm also wondering though, is, is people that are doing educating, but it's not their main profession. I'm thinking about homeschooling. Sure. Students. I'm thinking about Sunday school teachers. I'm thinking about church leaders mm -hmm. or, or preachers or pastors. How do they take some of this information that you're talking about? and make them a better educator, right? You know, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, totally. What are your thoughts there? Totally. Some, some principles are easy. Like what I've been talking about here is called retrieval practice, that you bring to mind what you have learned. Um, and that can be done simply. So if, you know, if you have some influence over how a church service is run, say you run a small group, for example, um, watching a video of a sermon or a study is an effective way to learn something. But watching a video and then discussing the main points of the video with friends is exponentially better mm. because it just makes you mull through it and bring it back to mind and you make more connections. That's, so that's, I mean, that's really a simple thing. I mean, parents, ask your kids what they learned in school. If you're homeschooling, review, 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 make review a habit, Okay. especially key things you know, like formulas and historical people and historical dates. It can be fun. There are so many fun ways to review. Um, yeah, people people against traditional education call it drill to kill, but other people call it drill to thrill, which is totally how I view it. I mean, I think it can be the funnest thing ever. So reviewing with your kids is key. And then in terms of what they're, if they're struggling to learn something, Ask yourself if there's another way you could explain it to them. 
is there a visual if they don't already have a visual can you use a visual to do this i mean that's it's kind of intuitive i was just talking to my wife about this and it's like when you're at a restaurant explaining if i'm trying to explain something to you eric and it's like you don't get it it's like the next thing you do is like okay let me draw this out for you yeah right it's like this yep. is what you do and that's a really good thing so explaining it in a different way using different examples using it different illustrations um things like that would be really really helpful um for homeschoolers church leaders sunday school teachers yeah even, i think even coaches that's you know that's oh category. absolutely yeah. absolutely and co I, coaching is almost like teaching someone to play a sport is almost like the most natural sort of teaching there is because it's like you teach them how to do something and then you practice mm -hmm. that's really what teaching is yeah it's asked my seniors what is teaching in one sentence i always say explain something make them practice it give them feedback on their practice hmm. right which is you can see like in basketball practice right yeah. here's how you do a layup now do it and the coach stands there and says no don't do it that way do this and yeah. they just keep doing it till they get it right um so that's good that's good and yeah coaches can definitely apply this stuff but i think too probably a lot of people are already doing this stuff hmm. for sure so i'd say keep doing those sorts of things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're a preacher, you need to create visuals for your hearers. You don't have to use pictures even. If you don't like technology or whatever, just when you're explaining something, tell your hearers, picture this, mm. and then explain it, right? That is dual coding. I mean, you are they're not looking at a picture, but their mind is yeah. looking at a picture as they hear you explain it. Um, and that can be really helpful. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming on today. Yeah. I, uh, I'm sure we're going to have you on again. You, you brought up like six different options that we can yeah, have on the podcast. I love so. it all. Oh, uh, let me say too, yes, Eric, please. resources. Yes. So if people wanted to learn more and I give you these links, right? Yeah. We can post them below, but a couple of names that are really, really good. One is Daniel Willingham, who's a professor of psychology at Virginia. He's a cognitive psychologist who writes on education. Um, Google Daniel Willingham or go to his website. He talks about learning styles. He talks about alternatives, learning styles. The other is Natalie Wexler, who is not an educator. I think she's a trained lawyer, like a correspondent in education. And she's, She's written books, and both of these people write popular-level books. Okay. Like, you don't need to know what standard deviation is or read research, you know, like, let the nerds do that. But th they write popular-level books and articles that are really easy to understand and really, really helpful, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we will put those YouTube description, podcast description. You guys yeah. can go and, yeah. go and find those. Well, thank you for coming on, and uh, we'll have you again, I'm sure. Maybe have some of your other colleagues. Um, yeah, education colleagues. Absolutely, on. differing yeah. views is great. That would be that yeah. would be great. Yeah. So, well, thank you very much, and have a good afternoon. Thanks, Eric. Thank you for listening to Concerning Him, an Emmaus podcast. Ministries like Concerning Him are possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us please visit emmaus.edu slash partner.